Welcome to the Young Artists Podcast, when young artists take center stage. I'm your host, Natalia, and this is the place where we dive deep into the minds and works of emerging artists, exploring their unique perspectives and creative journeys. Enjoy! Welcome to the new episode of the Young Artists Podcast. I'm your host, Natalia, and today we have a truly exceptional guest with us, uh, Emilios Metaxas, from Athens, Greece. Emilius has journeyed through the world of art, from mentorship at Pixar and Disney to earning his master's degrees in painting at the Royal College of Art. His imaginative paintings transport us to the captivating imaginary sceneries. Uh, hi, Emilio. Great to have you on the podcast. Uh, thank you. That's a nice <laughs> intro. <laughs> Can you introduce us a little bit to your art practice? How did you come to painting? How did you start? Um, sure. So, like, it's a very interesting anything so for me art what made me interested in art was in particular the art of animation growing up uh, I remember seeing those characters inhabiting those outward locations and I wanted to be part of that so I always wanted to be able to create those characters um, so I started uh, having lessons during high school and had this amazing mentor who she worked at Disney and Pixar Animation and she had so much knowledge to pass on and she helped me a lot mm-hmm. at my creative journey. After high school I studied at NABA, it's the leading school of art in Milan. Yeah. And there it was when my practice shifted direction. My goal was to go for animation but um, with reality, when reality hits, uh, I decided to shift direction to prioritize what I really want to do, and I was focused on my art and creative freedom. And one of the means to do that was through painting. Painting allows you to have control of what you want to paint and how you want to express yourself more than animation. Mm-hmm. It's a more personal medium. So after I graduated from Milan, uh, COVID happened, of course, yeah. <laughs> uh, we all remember that. So f- during those two years, uh, although it was very hard for everyone, I think, uh, and you weren't, didn't have access to many things, that gave me the opportunity to start uh, and explore different mediums of art, in particular jewelry and fashion. Mm-hmm. It was very interesting to get to know other professions and discover more sides of myself in particular which uh, fuel my creative practice. For example, jewelry and in particular I would say the artist Peter Carl Fabergé who he's, if for those who don't know, he is a, a, in, the one who made most of the imperial um, jewels for the Russian royal family in the early 20th century before the Russian Revolution. And it, most famously, the Fabrizia eggs. Yeah. Uh, he was a pioneer of his time, not as a jeweler, but most importantly, he was an artist. Mm-hmm. So, these kind of creative people, such as Carl Fabrizia, Alexander McQueen, when it came to fashion, influenced me a lot to seek other mediums and how can I take from them what interests me and apply that onto painting. Uh, so, 
during COVID, at the end of COVID, I had two solo source increase where I showcased all of my research uh, throughout the two years. And then I applied at the Royal College of Art. Last minute, literally like yeah. one day before the deadline, <laughs> I thought, okay, let's try. Uh, there's nothing to lose. I always want to go to London because it is the center of the world when it comes to culture. So yeah, I applied, they responded. Uh, like, okay, sure, okay, I will and come. Here you are. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it wasn't so easy, like, let's be honest, like, because the Royal College of Art, it is uh, quite expensive for more people to afford. So yeah. the money I made through my solo source helped me a lot, and my parents, of course, to be able to afford to go and study there at the one year course, because I will not change from two years to one year. So, yeah, I, I came to London and I began my journey at the Royal College of Art. Mm, so, during my one-year course at the Royal College of Art, it was very interesting because um, there were so many people from different disciplines, although painting, but painting is a broad term, so everyone would do their own thing. And throughout the year, I decided to focus on exploring more what I want to do with painting as a medium, because although I like painting, I think of myself as an artist first and then mm -hmm. as a painter. What I mean by that is, if you look at my paintings now, I try to combine different qualities from different disciplines. Like I mentioned before, jewelry and fashion. An example would be my first piece I made at the RCA was a painting and I made the frame and I did embroidery, hand embroidery with silk and I added gemstones so you have silk, which is a reference to fashion, let's say, yeah. and a reference to me because my last name in Greek means silk. And there's a long history with my family regarding that material. And then gemstones, similar to jewelry, how gemstones have a meaning and a reference to something in particular. So that enhances the narrative of my work. And then the medium I decided to focus the most uh, in my practice is ink. Mm -hmm. Uh, ink, it is, I wanted so badly to make my work as, let's say, democratic as possible. By that I mean anyone can see my paintings and they can just take ink and they can also try and draw for themselves and be free and experiment themselves. Like, although silk and gemstones are more inclu uh, inclusive and more like expensive materials, let's yeah. say. Ink is for everyone. So That's true. Exactly. So I wanted people to have fun with my work. You don't need to add the silk and the gemstones. This is just me. I like those things. You but can only grab the ink and draw. Precisely. Like ink is a material that I wouldn't call it, I don't want to say material. It's more like an extension of our hand because mm -hmm. when we are at school, we use ink to study. But also, let's be honest, I use ink to doodle in class and yeah, of course. draw. And like for me, that's what ink is about. Like doodling, being bored and being creative and like reveal the conscious on your book, you know. Um, yeah. And also ink, especially when you look at calligraphy in China and in the East, is a medium people use to pass on knowledge that they spent their whole life discovering. So, uh, as you are so multidisciplinary and you also are inspired by so many different aspects, 
many of them very much connected to the Eastern culture. Could you say a little bit about your fascination with ink and with the silk? Mm -hmm. So let's start with silk, for example. Yeah. Right? Uh, like I mentioned, my last name means silk. And I was curious, like, okay, um, what's the story behind? Like, okay, yeah. how do we get our last name? Luckily, my dad knew because I know most people maybe do not know. Uh, so the story behind it is that my ancestors years ago, obviously, many years ago, mm -hmm. uh, they were importing silk from China through the Silk Road to the Byzantine Empire. I know, very long time ago, like Byzantine Empire, exists in part. But that's something. amazing that your father knew. Yeah, I'm like, how do you know? <laughs> anyway, um, so yeah, that's interesting, you know, uh, and they were like close to the queen of the Byzantine Empire. And when the war happened, of course, they left because of the fight. And they came to Greece. Um, and that's how my family moved from back then, Constantinople to uh, Greece. And then growing up, silk was all around. Like for me, it was like I remember at school people would bring silkworms and teach us how silk was made. So I was very interested to how something can be born from nature and be, you know, silkworms are so fragile, right? Yeah. And they are so sensitive, but they make one of the strongest materials in the world, which is silk. You know, it's quite durable. And I was fascinated by this material of nature and how we as humans wanted it so much it became like this treasure almost like this last behind silk and i remember uh being told like oh this when you read fairy tales especially they would describe the garments usually with the word silk like the most expensive would be this mm. silk robe or this silk something yeah so silk not only is part of my family but also is something that i grew up as a kid and as associated with fairy tales, fantasy, and like the in the past, you know, times ago. Yeah, the, the, only the story of silk being made by these little animals and being so durable is so fascinating. It's like fascinating. It's like a fairy tale in itself. <laughs> Not for the world, for us, but yeah. like for the, because, like you know, like um, in order to make silk, you they need to boil them alive and remove the silk before the hearts. Otherwise, it break uh, the thread. There is, of course, I for my first painting, I used vegan silk, which mm -hmm. what it does is allow them to be born first, and then they take the silk. Okay. But even when they're born, they only allow to they only live around three days, mm -hmm. because they just mate and then they die, and they cannot fly. The butterflies cannot fly, because really? they were harvested for so many years by us, but that they lost their ability to fly. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, so they live for like a couple of months uh, as worms. They eat, they provide everything, and then they have three days made and that's their life cycle. Not so much of a fairy tale, in fact. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, fairy tales, the folk tales were dark in the origin, but they were changed to fairy tales by the leading class so that we feel the lower class. And there's a long history behind yeah. it. Um, and then let's go back to the materials you ask about ink. The ink, yes. Yeah, ink, okay. That's very interesting. So ink, like I said, I studied animation. So one of the earliest materials I used was ink. And I was trained to use ink at the beginning, I remember. And then looking at the East, because I grew up in Greece, Greece is in the middle between the East and the West. And actually a lot of the art 
from the ancient Greeks came from the East, like they copied patterns from the East and the civilization of the Minoans, I don't know if you know, uh, yeah. it is considered to be Greek, but in reality they were not Greek, they were, they came from the East and they had connection with Egypt okay. and they were conquered by the Greeks, so they, I wouldn't call them Greek, but sure, whatever, <laughs> if the shoe fits. Okay. Uh, so yeah, there's a huge connection between Greece and the East and in particular, when you look at how calligraphy is made, right, or how the ink paintings are made from the East, there's almost like a whole philosophy behind it. You know, just, okay, let's write something. Mm -hmm. The material, the movement, the preparation of the ink. It's like a ceremony almost, right? Exactly. I, writing. Which is something I feel we miss in today's society. Mm -hmm. This spirituality, this like time, this uh, focus on yourself and what you have in front of you, which is ink and paper or canvas or silk. This solidarity, I think, it's something that I long for. And for me, ink is one of the mediums that pays homage to that. Yeah. I feel, I don't know if that makes sense, but... Yeah, for sure. This is spirituality connected to the materials that they use. Both yeah, for sure. This is something that we definitely lack, especially like with the um, evolution of technology, we only type. No mm -hmm. one really takes even like a notebook and to write their thoughts anymore. And there is something spiritual and like a celebration of a little moment that you sit down, you write your thoughts down and you can really focus on what's happening. I find it fascinating that you pay so much attention to the materials because uh, I feel like you can really think your practice through and you can analyze every single aspect. But since you are so focused on materials, what about the themes? You have so many, so much background in different disciplines like fashion, illustration, jewelry. Do you find yourself drawn to particular themes or topics or subjects when you paint? Um, so I think for me the theme is very important and although I do enjoy, I, so I love history a lot, mm -hmm. I love storytelling a lot, but I also want the themes that I focus on to be contemporary. Yeah. So how I would start is I would observe, I observe a lot the world around me and how people act every day like I will go either to the clubs to the pubs to museums to the park and see how people function and that is one of the what influence my themes that I would focus on my paintings and then through storytelling symbolism and materials which all enhance uh, the themes that I want to focus on and I use those things to tell a story, a contemporary story, but with things that we know. Okay. You know, like, let's say I use a lot of mythology as my own vocabulary to say a story that will focus on contemporary issues. But what storytelling does great is they pass on a message to the viewer without having him being forced to like learn something or be taught something, but subconsciously it enters your mind. Mm -hmm. So that's what I'm trying to do, I think. 
That's great. So basically you are able to use the very ancient symbolism and ancient stories to convey a contemporary message. That's very original. Uh, yeah, thank you. <laughs> I mean, to be fair, I tried to make new stories at the beginning. I remember at the RCA I was trying to make my own stories, right? But the trouble, problem with that is that people do not know them and they do not have time to get to know them because a new story you need to not only read it once, you need to experience it and to be embedded inside of you, in your culture. Whereas all stories, you can take them, you can play around them, you can swift them. Uh, but people, there's no, people grew up with those stories as well. So there's some parts that they know and some parts they don't know. But you need to balance the new information with the old information so that you can, like, make it more familiar to the people, I think. I'm quite fascinated by how you can create this like imaginary sceneries mm -hmm. and you can definitely see this like mythical references in your paintings, but I'm very interested in how your process does look like. Do you first come with like the scenery or do you create characters or do you think of a story what's behind it? like? How do you do it? <laughs> oh gosh, um, so the process is a mess, to be honest. Okay. <laughs> um, it's like, okay, um, it depends. I think sometimes I don't like, so for how I work is I don't like doing sketches. I do sketches when I'm outside, out and about, but I don't sketch, let's say, the full painting and then I just make it. I don't like, mm -hmm. I find it a bit boring. I like to search and reveal little by little to myself the painting that, that makes it more interesting for me. So I would start, let's say, with a small part of the painting, like uh, one of my paintings, which is about co the coral leaf. At the time, I was really interested about corals. So the first, or like in the underwater, uh, so the first character I made was this octopus seahorse, and that gave me uh, information for the next part of the painting. And then little by little, the painting start mm -hmm. revealing itself to me. It's very organic. Yeah, it's a lot of back and forth. Yeah. Like I wanted to be on the spot and reveal itself without and always search what there will be next. What is the next piece that is missing? Almost like a puzzle. You have to make it little by piece by piece. Yeah. So that's more fun I think for me at least. Yeah, I also personally work like this because I feel that this organic process really allows you to release this artistic freedom. Mm -hmm. You can really like add something here, then you feel like adding something else there and like it comes very organically. Yeah, yeah I agree with that. The thing is sometimes um, the problem with that is the... how can I say that? Like um, you need to be consistent sometimes, you mm -hmm. know, when you make a painting it needs to make sense that it was made by the same person, the same mind was behind it. Like. So you need to, don't take too long to move to the next part like, of the yeah. painting, you know, you just do piece by piece, but also be consistent. Mm -hmm. So you won't feel like this part was made and then the other part was made by almost like another person because we always change and develop. Yeah. So. Yeah, I once heard this very good advice. I think it applies that when you make a painting, you need to make it look 
every time as if it could be finished. So like, even if it looks like a sketch, it could be finished like a sketch, you know, mm -hmm. then when you decide to add color, you add color evenly to every part so that you can also finish it at the same stage of just adding color, not like making one piece very specific and leaving the rest part. Yeah, I agree. Like one of the tests I do to see if a painting will be good or will be, I would like it is the first drawing I make on the painting. If I like it, the painting will be nice. If I don't like it, the painting will only be good. The first drawing? Yeah. Every time I stop, if I like what I see, it means it will be a good painting. If I don't like something, it won't be a good painting. So I was there's a test I do, especially the first case I think is the most important because it's the sole, let's say, the first piece of the whole composition. So if that is not good, the whole painting won't be good. So, Emilio, if you were to compare your artistic journey in Greece, in Milan and in London, what would you say, how do the art scenes differ in these countries? Okay, so, let's start with Greece, right? Mm -hmm. I grew up in Greece. I had the privilege to study and to live with the art of such a broad variety of great artists uh, from the old times. But... The reality is that Greece doesn't do a great job, I feel like, promoting our cultural heritage. A great example of that would be this summer I went to see the museum of Tsaroukis. Tsaroukis, he's mm -hmm. a great Greek painter. And I went there excited to see his work. And they said, hey, so we don't have any of his paintings. I'm like, what do you mean you're the museum of this art and you don't have any of his work? It's like, yeah. yeah, so what happened is to protect them in 2012, they removed all of the paintings and they placed them in a, like a warehouse mm -hmm. under a museum. I'm like, cool, where they're going to be displayed then? They display them once in a while, but since 2012, they're there, so no one can see them. Really? Yeah, so we have a few great artists, but we don't show them their works to the next generation. Mm. So that's a nice example to see how Greece views their own artists. Mm -hmm. Actually, we have the same problem in Poland. There's not enough celebration of great Polish artists at all. So I can see that. So when imagine growing up in this environment, mm -hmm. when they view art that way, if you're lucky, I was very fortunate to study abroad and be inspired by other great arts. But if you're not, you're stuck, to, you can study now. I think now Greece slowly opens up and they create a better space for artists, but they need to go fast. I feel they need to do more and they need to go faster. Uh, because it's, it, it's really sad. We have this heritage and we have so many amazing artists and what Greece does is, is forcing their young people to move away. Mm -hmm. As a country, not only in art, but in every possible discipline. Yeah. Unless it is like um, hospitality or like uh, ships, everything else, or agriculture, anything else are, uh, people are leaving mm -hmm. because they don't support the next generation. Uh, moving on to Milan. So for me, Milan, it was a huge change. Like I, I grew up in Greece and Greece, Although very, it was a country very forward for its time. By its time, I mean 
Shakespeare's. Uh, yeah. It hasn't. It's very. It was a very narrow-minded country. I was. I was very fortunate to grow up with parents quite accepting. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I can't say I had a lot of trouble uh, being who I was with my parents. But at school and at society, you were so. Street, it was so you weren't allowed to do anything to express yourself outside of the box, really. You would be bullied for everything, like even having a diamond earring, you would be bullied for that, mm-hmm. you know. So, for me as an artist, and uh, I can't pretend or I can't be who I'm not to be, it was so hard um, growing up in this environment. So, Milan, it was the first time I was allowed to do whatever I wanted, it was, it was a city where fashion designer, creatives, dress with feathers on the head and no one cared about. So, and it's important to remember, I went to Milan at the age of 18, mm-hmm. at a very young age and a very fundamental age that really shapes your personality, who you are at this particular age. So I was very fortunate to go and study there and explore and understand more about who I am as an individual and have this outlet and so many influences by the museums, the galleries, uh, so many things and it was a great environment to be at, I feel like. Uh, so yeah, that changed me a lot. Mm, you can see by the way I was dressing. Um, <laughs> and then lo- we come to... And then you get um, inspired by fashion. I think, yeah, I think I remember in Milan at the end of the first year where, where I started to view fashion more than just clothing, but as an art form and as a way of expressing yourself. And also you can learn a lot about someone by the way they're dressed. Mm-hmm. Because what clothing does is, it doesn't hide your insecurities that people think it does, but in reality it projects to those who know how to read fashion, it projects who you are as an individual. Mm-hmm. You know, so. It's, it's very interesting to study how people dressed and to know more about that. So, yeah, after that I moved to London. Also, it was even a, a huge step. Like, even, like, Milan is a great city, but compared to London, the freedom London has and the variety of so many cultures, like, the museums here are, like, out of this world. Yeah, I agree. You know, like, I remember the first thing I, once I came to London was to go... So I came first to find house, remember, and the first thing was to go to the V&A because mm-hmm. I bought tickets to see the Fabrice exhibition. Yeah. I, I, I was so I was so, I tried so hard to get those tickets because they were sold out and they, they were limited releases. So I would be on top of my laptop for hours to get mm-hmm. two. Uh, and I was so excited because it was one of the best days, I think. And then the second thing, I. And when I moved to London, the first thing I did was to go to the British Museum to see the collection of uh, Rothschild's uh, collection. He had these antiquities like um, from the medieval times. It was yeah. great. So those museums and also contemporary galleries, like let's say Shachi Gallery, I know it's a commercial gallery, but they do host some great shows. Uh, and then Tate Modern and even young upcoming colors that many people do not, do not know, I haven't found a better place than London, really, to get inspired by so many different uh, disciplines and so many different uh, 
types of art, you know. Even I agree, London is so amazing in this too. Yeah, like I remember I went to this rave party, like Repost. Repost does this LGBT rave parties once in a while. Mm -hmm. And I've never been to a rave party, right? Uh, and I go there dressed like quite safe because like I didn't know the place. And I go there and see people with feathers, people with yeah. neon lights, people with crazy outfits. And I'm like, whoa. Yeah. I've never seen I'm like, that's great. That's amazing. And I was so excited. And you can do it. No one will tell you anything. No one cares. Yeah. No one cares. And the great thing, so after that, I made a painting, right? Based on my experience. And on the next repose open call, I applied with that particular painting. And I was chosen. Mm -hmm. So I think it was a week ago or two weeks ago. It was done, so I sold my work, this work on the next post. Really? Yeah. Congratulations, yes, thank that's you. great. So I was able to meet the staff, meet the people behind the scenes and yeah. start my... So when they asked me when I want my work to be placed, there was a small gallery and there was a club partisan. And I said, I don't want it to be like a white cube. I want people to really experience my work. So what we did was I put it in the wall inside the, where people were dancing and I placed uh, a light so people can see the painting. Uh, I think it was yellow, a pink light. Mm -hmm. And one, that was crazy. I, I never thought about it. What happened was similar to how kids go in front of the light and do shadow puppets. Yeah. People would go in front of my painting and pose and do. And my painting is quite crazy, you know, creatures. And they will blend with the creature and create their own oh, really? creature and move their hands. They will make pictures as well. Yeah, yeah, it was crazy. Like people would pose in front of my painting or make their own creatures in front of my painting. So that's something that there was no other way to see that unless it was in that particular space. Mm -hmm. If it goes in a white cube, people are more afraid to go close to the paintings in case it, something yeah. happens. You, you can't also. If you just approach a painting too close, like the security would tell you, please step away, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And also there was no shadows to play with. So I was like, wow, I mean, that is what I want my art to be. I want people to have fun and experience art, similar to how music or acting or all, mm -hmm. all that is. I don't want people to be afraid of the paintings and to feel, to be viewed in this cold, curated environment. So that was a great experience to get to see. I feel like that's amazing, um, and this really tells you how London is. You can yeah. really do anything with art in London. You can connect, like put the painting, which seems like a very, you know, like serious medium, very serious work of art, because it's a painting, and you put it into the club, and it's everything is possible. And people dance with it. It comes with the music. It comes with a crazy lighting. That's amazing. I think it really this story really shows how the London art scene can be creative and inspiring. Once I think it's so advanced, like the level of accessibility and creativity those people have, not, all, not, not only in painting, right? like they, are, they could be fashion designers, they could be just regular people, but the way they express themselves is so interesting to see. And I think Greece is also like slowly starting also to experiment more to allow to be more acceptive of people that dress differently you know mm -hmm. uh, so it's nice to see but yeah to the level london is it's crazy like i love it it's, so it's, you love london <laughs> yeah funny enough i think i never felt even when i lived in milan i knew i would live some at some point i would mm -hmm. live here forever i love my time there it's an amazing city and also creativity 
the people, the way they dress is spectacular. Mm, and Greece, also, I love Greece. I grew up there and I would like to move at some point, maybe in my 40s, to live close to the sea because I love the sea, I love that. But for my age and where I'm now in my career, London is the first place that I said I would like to stay here. Like I can mm -hmm. see myself staying here for a long time. Yeah. Okay, so what's your next plan in your uh, painting, in your art? You're definitely staying in London, but yeah. do you have any current projects that you're working on? Um, yeah, so I just finished, like I said, two shows. I had the mm -hmm. post and I had another one before that. Uh, I, I, I think they asked me for like an online um, publication or something. I'm working on that. Um, I just signed with an online gallery as well. But most importantly for me is like I really want to hone my practice because now I I went back to embroidery on my paintings, but not in the same way because. Ink is the main the start of the paintings, but with embroidery and jewelry, you have this sense of touch, this sense of um, three-dimensionality to my work, which I think is very now, it's very important. Especially when one of my classmates at the RCA, she was blind. Mm -hmm. So when I remember I had this my artist talk and one of the comments was, if I could describe my paintings more, and I think she's right, we take for granted that people see or hear, but mm. that's not the case. So. What happened was with my three-dimensional paintings or my sculptures that I made from my grad show, I invited her to, and she got to see them because she was able to touch them. And I think it's very important, the touch, uh, to be more inclusive of everyone and to really recognize people's disabilities because it's a real thing. Yeah. We forget people maybe are not always able to talk, to walk, sorry, or see. So as society, I think it's our responsibility to think of those people. Yeah, it's a, it's a really great thing to uh, be more inclusive and to understand that even people, for example, who are blind can successfully engage with visual arts, yeah. but you just need to make them inclusive. Yeah, I don't mean make every painting that way. Like everyone yeah. has their own style, of yeah. course. But in my case, since I enjoy three-dimensionality and the sense of touch, I think materials, apart from adding to the storytelling, with their name, like silk, the name itself is a part of the character. The qualities that the material provides to the narrative is very important. So through touch, you can view the painting in a different way. So mm -hmm. also they also are allowed to yeah, experience what other painters, other people yeah. are experiencing. So then your art is not only multidisciplinary, but it's also multi-sensory experience. Yeah. That's great. And do you have any artists that you're inspired by at the moment or generally? Yeah, a lot. <laughs> like, <laughs> the most important. I think, that, like I said, uh, Carl Fabergé is one of the most important. I would say then Alexander McQueen for fashion. Let's say uh, Takashi Murakami is an artist that... Takashi Murakami, Keith Haring and Basquiat were mm -hmm. the three primary artists that were there when I shift from animation to painting mm -hmm. because I admire what they did with art. And I used to love Glenn Keane mm -hmm. and Mark Davis, like those two were two pioneers of animation, which they were not only animators, they were artists, but they all right. Um, and then I just draw inspiration from everywhere, like it could be anime from the East, it could be animation from the West, it could be jewelry, it could be so many things. Uh, it could be woodblock prints from mm -hmm. Japan, for example. You know? um, 
I'm trying to think now. Oh, like also recently, like I started liking the work of like Tom F- of Finland. Mm-hmm. Uh, I find because I I saw this interview he did at Calart where because of the war and at the times he walking to be quite sensory. He said, uh, although I don't paint, I won't, let's say I won't paint the sex scene that's happening. Mm-hmm. The way the characters look at each other and the way their bodies are positioned, you know what's going to happen next. Okay. You may not see it at that particular picture, but you know by the way they look at each other yeah. what's happening after you feel uh, the base. So it's that was very interesting <laughs> to see. That's great. So you basically gave me so many inspirations, you know, that's like... <laughs> that's great, I'll need to research them, you know, because I'm not that much into the... Um, animation uh, designers mm-hmm. but it's super interesting to me and I guess as a last question I would love to ask you if you have any advice for the artists who are just starting their career oh <laughs> um, I mean I'm still learning myself right I think uh, I can share with them some of my thoughts I guess but for me, I will talk about myself, right? What I think for me is most important. And mm-hmm. if someone agrees, that's great. Uh, first of all, like be true to yourself. Understand what you want through art. What is like your goals with art? Why are you doing art, right? Do things you enjoy. Uh, of course, you need to make a living. I know that, and it's part of the job but what I came to realize is you cannot be a businessman and an artist at the same time you need to find the right place for both you need both yeah sure but don't allow the one to enter the realm of the other mm-hmm. because then nothing will happen you need to be able to separate the two and use it at the right time so yeah be honest with yourself like and most importantly, accept all of the sides of yourself. Don't try to change or don't try to avoid sides of you because at some point they will, they will always be there to haunt you. Like you need to accept both the good and the bad sides. Both the things you think are good and bad. And for me, that would be, let's say, mm, I like, I like, I like, sometimes I like toys, right? I like my little pony, sure. Mm-hmm. It has a special being to me. It's not like the most cool thing to say, I guess, yeah. but it is, or like, I like decorative art, or I like uh, those kind of things. They are side of me that I can talk to, I'm like, yeah, I like them. I can change them to fit more of who I am, but these are one part of me, and then find the next part and accept all of the sides of who you are. So basically be very honest with yourself. You need to be brutally honest. Brutally like, honest. Don't try to hide from yourself, honestly. Don't. That's a good advice, but it's a very tough one to implement, you know. <laughs> it's very tough, and I think for me, what helped was the fact that my parents, like my mom was a, a psychologist, mm-hmm. and my dad was a psychiatrist. So what helped me a lot was that I, I grew up in a very open environment, but I know for people who are not so lucky, they might have more trouble doing so. But at the end of the day, some at some point they will come back to haunt you so like yeah try to the best of your capabilities to face them straight on and say this is who i am and like it or not this is what you get mm-hmm. don't try and also don't try to please everyone yeah okay. you can never please everyone you can never please everyone so just try to please yourself <laughs> yeah be respectful to others 
I think that's very respectful and do the best you can to help when you can. Yeah. But also it's important to remember to protect yourself and be kind to yourself. Don't mm -hmm. be too harsh. I could learn to follow my own advice. But <laughs> um, yeah, it's like I think that's some of the most important things I would say. Thank you very much. Thank and you. thank you for the conversation. It was very, very interesting. And um, you definitely gave me a very amazing perspective into the blending of animation and the painting world. Mm -hmm. And it was very great to hear about your practice and about uh, your journey from Greece to London. So thank you very much for joining us. Oh, thank you for having guys. It was lovely talking to you. It was lovely talking to you as well. And thank you everybody for listening to the Young Artists podcast and stay tuned for the next episode. Bye. Thank you for joining us on the Young Artists Podcast. Don't forget to stay connected with us on Instagram and LinkedIn. Follow us at Young Artists Podcast for behind-the-scenes glimpses, updates, and even more artistic inspiration. Your support fuels our creativity.